Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by co-host Tobias Wright and guest co-host Catherine O'Shaughnessy. More about her in one second. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Call us live on air. Get your opera voice heard, 847 847- 866-9687. What's your hot take on what we're talking about? 847-866-WNUR. All right. Tonight, we go inside the huddle with Metropolitan Opera National Council Awards winner Madison Leonard. The soprano joins us live by phone to talk us through her big night at the Met, how she got there, what happens next. Then, I play Monday evening quarterback and review Jesus Christ Superstar now playing at Lyric Opera of Chicago, while Tobias and Kathy crunch the numbers and look at Washington National Opera's upcoming season. Where will the district's house fall on the Dodson scale? Plus around 9.40 p.m., two-minute drill, everything you need to know from the past week in Opera Land on our hot takes on those stories. We've got a great show for you tonight. Thanks for hanging out with us. Tobias Wright, good to see you. Uh, do you know that I'm a zero on the Dodson scale? Uh, what do you mean by that? I don't know. It's just I was going to rate my... really good, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> K- Kathy O'Shaughnessy, what would your number be on the Dodson scale? Well, I get points for female conductor, right? So Boom. I get a little something <laughs> to start with. But other than that, I'm pretty white and European. She's so. the principal conductor at the Floating Opera Company, music director at Chicago Fringe Opera, and a 2017 observer of the Dallas Opera Heart Institute for Women Conductors. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. No, it's great to be here. We got a lot to get to. We are going to kick it off right away and go inside the huddle. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Madison Leonard is a 2018 winner of the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. Previously this season, she joined Washington National Opera's Domingo Cafritz Young Artist Program. The summer brings her return to Wolf Trap Opera next season. She'll appear at Seattle Opera, the Glimmer Glass Festival, and her hometown company, Inland Northwest Opera in Idaho. Madison, thanks so much for being on the show with us tonight. Thank you for having me. So, look, how crazy has life been for you since the Met? (laughs) You know, I can't believe it's actually only been a week. Um, It has been... Kind of crazy, I'll be honest. Um, like, you know, you can't really be a rock star in this <laughs> genre specifically. It feels like we're our kind of own own little niche, but I felt like I got a little taste of it at the finals last week. I was just 
pretty much blown away by the whole experience. <laughs> what um, did you have a strategy? I mean, obviously singing the best that you possibly could, but going in to the whole process, what, what was the strategy for you in terms of the repertoire choice, what you wanted to start with? What was the strategy? Right, yeah, there kind of has to be a little bit of strategy because, well, especially for someone of my voice type, right? Like, I'm a light lyric soprano, meaning if there's a group of 10 people auditioning on a given day, probably six of them are singing <laughs> my exact same repertoire. So I have to be a little creative. Um, and that doesn't really mean picking obscure repertoire for me. Like, it meant picking things that I felt strongly about that I felt really connected to artistically and um, things that I thought would show technically what I can do best. Um, so for the semifinal uh, audition, I sang Manon, aria, Je suis encore, uh, which, you know, is like a fairly commonly done aria, but um, for me it kind of shows more of like a acting side, like um, it's, it's very theatrical as opposed to just vocally exciting uh, it has it has that a little bit as well and then the judges asked for caro nome so kind of on the other end of the spectrum more of the vocal technique acrobatics um if you will um yeah so that's kind of that was my strategy at least and the other two pieces that i offered were gretel's aria from hansel gretel and um uh, Prendi from elixir of love and was there anyone who happened to sing the same rep as you at any of the, the regionals or the semis or even in the final? No, you know what? Actually, there wasn't any overlap, um, at least in the last two rounds. I, I'm not sure about the districts um, because we, they were closed auditions. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure if other people did. There's a very high chance, though. Like I said, there's a lot of us uh, white lyrics planners out there. Um, but I do know that for the semis and for the finals, at least the finals, uh, they were they were pretty strategic about making it not only a good audition experience for us individually, but also a collective concert experience for the audience because it is open to the public and kind of a big fancy schmancy event. <laughs> um, hi, Madison. This is Toby. Um, hi, Toby. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. So nice you've done the Met you. before. And I was just curious, um, having previous experience and uh, previously uh, experiencing success, uh, what, if any kind of insight, did did that give you going into the competition this year? Right. Yeah, this is my third attempt at the Met. So I remember the first time I did it was there in Chicago when I was a student at Northwestern. Go Cats. Go Cats. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was just a wee little babe. So I um, was kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, not exactly sure what the whole thing was about, but um, went and, and did my best. And I got to regionals, or yes, I got to regionals, and um, was blown away because I saw some of those kids walking in from the Ryan Center. And I was like, oh, dang, okay, mm -hmm. I didn't know what this was about. I didn't quite know at what level we needed to be. Um, and I was totally blown away by their singing and um, did not make it past that round, but was um, inspired to come back the next year and, and go for it again. So I did it again and kind of had a similar experience. Once again, got to regionals, but did not go on. And so this time, third, uh, third time's a charm, I suppose, and <laughs> made it to the end. Um, 
And I will say, of course, well, hopefully, I've technically improved over that time. I've gone from grad school to a year on my own uh, to a year in a young artist program. I've worked with, you know, dozens of coaches and teachers, and I think I've accumulated a lot of their wisdom vocally, but I've also just grown up as a person, as a woman. Like I've, I've experienced more life, and um, I think that always contributes to your artistry. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so could you, we have a lot of young listeners who listen who are, who are young singers as well. Could you offer them advice? You know, you're going to go do the Met competition for the first time. And now that you've done it three times and uh, it turns out, you know, you, you were capable, obviously, and talented enough uh, to win. But you also had to listen to those people who are trying to nurture you. So to people going to do it for their first time, um, what, could you, what kind of advice can you offer them uh, knowing now having been there? succeeded and now won, what could you offer that uh, advice to a young singer? The advice I would offer is um, take in the feedback. I mean, the Met is actually one of those competitions that organized to offer young singers um, feedback after the audition. So if things didn't go the way you planned, or if they did and you're going, if you get passed on to the next round, regardless, uh, the judges are there after the competition to provide you with feedback on um, what they experienced while you were singing. And it's important to, you know, jot that down and report it, whatever you need to do, and, uh, and think about it and process and see what helps you, like see what actually benefits you. Um, if you hear things multiple times, that might be a sign that that's something you should spend some time focusing on. But if it's something totally arbitrary or something that was said and that really gets you down, that's really bogging you down and and discouraging you from continuing to practice, um, maybe toss it out. It might not actually be beneficial <laughs> feedback. Now so I want to know. I, now <laughs> I want to know. What did you get? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I've gotten everything. And actually, even this year, I got seriously between two judges at the same audition, who will remain unnamed. Um, <laughs> I got somebody who said, wow, your fiction was incredible. I love the model. That's a great piece for you. Next judge, 35 seconds later. You really need help on your French diction, and I really don't think Hermano is representing you well. I'm like, well, great. Okay, super. So at that point, you know, you have to turn to the people in your inner circle, which you'll find um, as time goes by. It's probably your voice teacher, probably a coach, um, a sibling, a significant other, or a friend you really trust, whomever, and um, – and and bounce that off of them and see what sticks. And if it's not helpful, then honestly toss it because at the end of the day, competitions are subjective and yeah. sometimes you're lucky and you're fortunate um, and your hard work is off and sometimes they choose someone else and it's... you really have no control over it. You're listening to Opera Box Score on WNUR. We're talking to Madison Leonard, one of the sopranos, a winner of the 2018 Metropolitan Opera National Council Awards. Hi, Madison. This is Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Uh, you were talking about the feedback you get. And I, from what I can tell, feedback is part of the process as well. There's a coaching aspect of the competition. How do you respond to that in the moment? And what was that like? That was a really interesting experience. So during the week of the finals, um, after you've been announced as a finalist, you get to stay in New York um, through that week until the grand finals concert uh, the following Sunday. And... I had the opportunity to coach dramatically uh, with a coach there at the Met who directs various productions. She's been there 
directing for something like 30 years, so she's very established. And, and that was an amazing experience because she's seen pretty much every great performer there at the Met for the last three decades. And, um, and working one-on-one with her on my rep specifically was really helpful. I think there was definitely a sense of concern um, about kind of shaking up too much of what you already have right, uh, absolutely. baked, you know, for your mm-hmm. repertoire. Um, so she was kind of just offering more suggestions, like maybe you can clarify the idea of what, you know, you really love about him or what makes you excited as Gretel waking up in the forest. You know, maybe you can picture the birds or, or hear the birds in the trees. So she kind of just clarified images, um, which is really helpful. And she also knows how to project expressions on a stage where there's 4,000 people watching you yeah. in one of the biggest opera houses in the world. Was most, really the feedback, was most of the feedback then um, things that you could fix in the moment, or were there some seeds planted for long-term you know, directions you can go? There were definitely some seeds planted. Um, we got to work with an amazing conductor, Bertrand de Bicchi, who He's that week was... Yes. Uh, yeah, oh, my gosh. He was unbelievable. I felt like we were in such good hands. He was so kind. But he was also, you know, um, very honest and very straightforward. So he mentioned things to me that kind of got my, you know, fire started. He said, you know, your, your trills and karonome, they're, they're a little lazy. So, um, <laughs> you know, you might want to tighten that up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's fire. <laughs> you can't just get lazy. And he said, yes, are you, are you lazy often? And I'm like, well, gosh, you know, <laughs> I don't like to think so, but maybe, gosh. Um, so things like that that kind of got me thinking, okay, I, I'm here. I've I've put in a lot of good work, but there's there's so much farther I can go mm-hmm, with all mm-hmm. of this, and and the never to get too content with uh, what you're doing because that's the beautiful part about music. If you can continue honing your craft, you can continue um, stretching yourself in various ways. It's never really done. So you're in New York for a week. You get coaching. You're getting ready for, for the Sunday finals. Like, when do the nerves kick in for you, and how do you deal with that? Oh, I'm not sure the nerves ever stopped, <laughs> to be fair. I will say, actually, I was much more nervous for semifinals because it was the first time we were out on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the piano, and, um, you know, there's just one kind of balcony all filled with industry professionals and then a few, you know, a smattering of friends and family. Um, so it was much more of a, it was a cold kind of environment. I mean, you could tell everyone wanted you to do well. And, and of course, people backstage at the Met were extremely kind and warm. But I was so nervous walking out. I honestly could not feel my hands and feet. And I was like, well, super. I guess I <laughs> don't need those things, but I hope I don't fall. Wow. <laughs> um, so after the semifinals, actually going into the finals, it was a little more calm because I had a visual. You know, I knew what singing on that stage felt like. And um, also there was an audience there for the finals, which might seem like it would be more nerve-wracking, but actually it everyone was just like beaming at you and it was a lot more energy in the room everyone just wanted us to sing our best and um we'd also had a week to get to know each other as finalists um yeah so, so what all, was that relationship know, like between all the finalists is, is it, it pretty superficial lovely. or does it go deeper no 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 it was really really wonderful i mean i don't know if the dynamic was different this year because 
there were eight women and, and one guy. There was, you know, four sopranos, four mezzos, and a tenor who actually he claimed he was going to be transitioning to mezzo and just to fit in with the crowd. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was a wonderful dynamic. Everyone got along beautifully. I had a, a few friends in the bunch, so I felt lucky to be sharing that with them. But it was, it was really great. Honestly, no claws at all. Looking at what's coming up next for you then, Seattle Opera, Wolf Trap, Glimmer Glass, and of course, Inland Northwest Opera in Idaho. So one mm-hmm. of these things is not like the other, obviously. <laughs> and so my question is why? Like, what, what, would, what draws you back home to, to sing with that company? Yeah, you know, I, I got my start there, I guess, professionally. Um, actually, if you go all the way back to the beginning, they... They did outreach programs when I was in elementary school, still in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And my first opera that I ever saw was Madame Butterfly, um, which isn't really your typical kids' outreach. But uh, we got to go see it, and I just remember being floored and amazed that they did not use amplification. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. So I think I put that somewhere in my head uh, way back in the files of, oh, this is what opera is. And then I came back to it in college and, um, you know, fell in love so they like to claim that they got me started with opera of course <laughs> and um i i love to go back and perform with them it's a really sweet little company um my mom is actually the costumer for the company and she's on the board that's amazing <laughs> yeah more involved opera since i have been um but it's wonderful to be home and kind of give back to my community and um they perform in a beautiful little theater in spokane washington so can't complain um, and we get to do Marriage of Figaro again, which is a role that I, the first time I sang with that was at Northwestern. And I've done it a few times since, and I just, I love that score. I love the ensembles, and I just, any chance I get to do that, I, I probably will jump at it. Madison Leonard, again, a 2018 winner of the Metropolitan Opera National Council Awards. Thank you so much for being on the show with us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. After the break, Washington National Opera steps up to the plate with their upcoming season announcement, Home Run or Strike Out. That's next, only on Opera Box Score and WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. Pass or fail, here's Monday Evening Quarterback. Pass or fail, 
Tobias Wright singing along there. Was I muted? You were not muted. Oh, thank God. Why would I mute you, dog? I just get so enthused. Uh, turns out Madison Leonard is just lovely. And I'm so glad she was on the show with us. Hey, George, okay, can I just comment on the music that happened? You may. Um, so you know I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Sadly. Yes, okay. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs hate the Oakland Raiders, right? Are you familiar with the sports rivalry? I don't know why the Chiefs would hate the Raiders. The Raiders and the Chiefs hate each other. I don't know. It goes back to the, the, the beginning of the AFL As- before AFL the merger. Okay, right, sure. right. Well, one of the Chiefs' all-time greatest players, Derek Johnson, a linebacker, was cut by the Chiefs about two months ago, and he just signed a contract with the Raiders. And I'm just I'm mm, torn because dang. I get it as somebody, a working professional, you got to pay your bills, he's got a family, but also, like, what are your thoughts on that? Would you, if you were cut by the team you, you had played for for 13 years, would you sign with your rival? Uh, late, man, you got to make a buck. Oh, God. You know, you know. Uh, that's Tobias's point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes we have to talk about sports on this show. Kathy O'Shaughnessy hanging out with us <laughs> yep. tonight as well. Uh, Kathy, you watch sports? Very, very little. I had a brief hockey phase when I was in Phoenix. But uh, go Coyotes. But other, aside from that, I kind of keep out of it. I, I, I'm kind of angry that the Cubs won the World Series while I was conducting a production. And so that's, that's, a, that's a bone I will never uh, quite let go of. You but also went to Michigan, right, for your doctorate? I, I went there for my undergraduate, actually. Oh, for your undergrad. Yeah, when okay. I was a wee little and. So did you go to Wolverine games? I went to there? a couple. Uh, okay. I went to a couple. Okay. I've, got, I've got the Go Blue yeah. spirit. Last Wednesday, I saw the matinee of Jesus Christ Superstar, which is originated at the Open Air Theater in Regent's Park in London. The production has now come to Lyric Opera of Chicago and likely is going on an intergalactic tour, <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, we're going to take just a few minutes to do a Monday evening quarterback on that. First of all, let me just say that Oliver is going to be so relieved when JCS finally goes away and oh. we can stop talking about it i look i love this show this show is so near and dear to my heart and tonight i'm not going to get into a big thing about why are we doing this show in an opera house you want to pick that fight with me you can give me a call 847-866-WNUR here's what you get when you go see this show this is a clear concept free production with incredible commitment from its performers especially the ensemble the ensemble is like 45 people strong. This is one of the most diverse ensembles you're going to see on the Lyric Opera stage. This is one of the most diverse ensembles you're going to see in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar. You have beautiful people with not an ounce of fat on their bodies, by the way, singing, acting, dancing with such incredible commitment. Plus, a fabulous orchestra, an amazing band, which gives you this experience, which is extremely loud. In fact, there were complimentary earplugs available at the coat check. I think they should be marketing what? that as one of their pluses. <laughs> I, just, I don't know what to say about that. Well, what, was it a rock concert? Is that essentially is. what happened? Essentially, I mean, the concept is, is that the piece started off as a concept album, and this production really honors that by mm-hmm. having, I would say, half of the numbers are literally presented with singers standing at mic stands, not with body mics, wireless stuff, mics on stands, singing their hearts at, which really pays homage to how this piece originated. It's a nonlinear story. It's not historically accurate. So why create a concept to try and put that 
into play. You know, I've only ever seen the movie, so how different is this from that like 1970s movie? Oh, dude, that movie like I watched that movie way too young. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's Didn't it's all... it's very that in the movie Tommy. Man, I never should have watched that. Uh, it's it's very different from the film. You 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 can't really compare uh, this audience though. Okay, so there's three types of people at the matinee. There, there's people like me who have nothing better to do on a Wednesday afternoon. There's subscribers who's using the earplugs. And the third group of people in the audience, aging male rockers. Yeah. Guys with, like, long gray hair, wearing van sneakers, and with, like, wrist tattoos. Really loud. Go see it. That's all I'll say. Go see it. <laughs> Kathy's going to see it next week, right? Absolutely. Thursday. Thursday I'm going to convince Oliver to go with me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to hear that much. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. Let us know what you think on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. Subject to interpretation and analysis, let's crunch the numbers. Thank you, Norm. Opera Box Score is what you're listening to. WNUR 89.3 FM. Number in the studio, 847 866 9687. You can give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking about what we're talking about Washington National Opera part of the Kennedy Center in our nation's capital has just released its 2018-2019 season and well it's a real mix actually Weston Williams our one of our co-hosts went through and ranked it on the Dodson scale that's our metric courtesy of Doug Dodson of the Opera Now podcast the granddaddy of them all uh how do we know what opera houses are doing, how progressive is the work, you can go to our website, operaboxscore.com, and check out the specific metric. Points are given out. Points are taken away. You're doing productions with people of color. You're doing productions with women. You're doing new productions. You're doing productions written after 1950. You're gaining points. You're doing stuff. Uh, well, certainly if you're doing Boheme, Carmen, or Traviata, you lose points, and we're going to Walk you through the upcoming season there. So, Toby, what is the first production that they're doing at Washington National Opera? Is it going to be a big point grabber? Well, hold on. It is not going to be a big point grabber. Though, it's it's a, a nice introduction to a season, I think, for an audience to kind of see um, maybe what's in store for the rest of the, the, the season. So they're starting with Traviata. It is a new production. Um, and so what did we score this? One point total here? Well, plus five for the new production. Ten. Plus, ten. No. No, 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 no. Five for the new production. One, two, three for uh, people of color in the cast. Three for a woman director, Francesca Zambello, who's <laughs> also the artistic director of the company. <laughs> but you lose head. ten points on our metric for doing Traviata, so that gives them a grand total of one. That's not an auspicious beginning. It's really not. But to be yeah. fair, to be in the positives for a Traviata when you've got that, that ten-point handicap, that's doing that's pretty well. Tr- that's quite true. Yeah. Maybe they knew. <laughs> they were like, "We have well, there's this new Dodson scale thing. We're going to be graded on opera box score. <laughs> so then, Kathy, how did they redeem themselves with the next show of their season? Well, the next is definitely a little more promising. Um, it is a new classic in many ways. It's Silent Night uh, by Kevin Putz and Mark Campbell. So plus five for being after 1950, plus an extra five for being after 2000. Um, multilingual libretto. We debated this a little bit, but maybe an extra two points for this. And, and why is that debatable? Well, to be fair, French, German, English, those we, we deal with that all the time. There is a little Latin, so that's getting into a little new territory. 
Um, but it is pretty much the traditional opera languages. This is a piece that is fast becoming part of, I think, sort of the standard repertoire in opera houses when you want to have an American mm-hmm. opera in the rep. And mm-hmm. that said, I don't know how many people have ever heard the score. We do have a little sound clip here. Let's take a listen. Um, Toby, you prepped this clip. Is there anything you can give us in terms um, of background? This on is it? from, I think, a 2013 production. I don't even remember. It's Chad Johnson singing, though. He's got a, just an incredible voice. Um, and yeah, I think it's. Let's take a listen. It's a great choice, I think, for a piece. This is a production directed by Tomer Zvulin, formerly of the Metropolitan Opera Assistant Directing Corps, now leading the charge at Atlanta Opera, and it gets WNO 18 points, which is a pretty big chunk of change. And I have to give a shout-out. Kenneth Kellogg was at Umish with me, so go blue. There we go. Man, really rocking the Wolverine thing. Yeah, Wes Mason was there, too, and Michael Fabiano. It was was a great team. The Lion, the Unicorn, and Me is a family opera. That's next on the docket for WNO. Female composer is Janine Tesori, so 10 points there. And uh, obviously it's a uh, world premiere, so there's another 10 points. Francesca Zambello again directing it. 28 points is what Weston came up with on that. And this is what's interesting about the season as a whole at WNO, is when you have a woman like Francesca Zambello, a very accomplished director, as the artistic director of the company, she's obviously going to be directing a lot of the pieces in our metric. That's rewarded. So... What you're seeing here is WNO is really getting credit for having a woman, and especially a woman director, running the ship. You're seeing that reflected in the points, which I think is absolutely true. Toby, tell us about Taking Up Serpents and how this show managed to gather so many points for WNO. Should I give the, the point total first? Go for it. 38 points, which I think is pretty incredible. Is that a record for the Stockton scale thing? Could be. That's a great question. I'm going to write that down. Okay. So, Taking Up Serpents, I think you asked me to do this because uh, of the story, um, which includes an estranged daughter whose father is like a fire and brimstone uh, preacher. Um, And... (laughs) <laughs> I say that you asked me to do that because I, for a short time, lived in Topeka, Kansas, where Fred Phelps. Do you guys know who Fred Phelps is? No. Have you ever heard of that guy's name? Well, Fire and Brimstone, evil guy. <laughs> anyway, his church, they right. used to protest. Anyway, so this got 38 points, 20 for a female composer of color, um, five points for being composed after 1950, five points for uh, also being composed after 2000, another woman conductor, um, Chicago Opera Theaters. That's correct. Uh, Lydia... Yankovskaya is the music director of mm-hmm. Chicago Opera Theater, and this is her WNO debut. Yeah, and then five points for a new production. It's part of the American Opera Initiative Festival, which includes three other 20-minute chamber operas, uh, which are 
yet to be named. Uh, so actually, it's possible that this th season can have uh, a lot more added uh, to their score on the Dodson scale because we don't know yet what those three premieres are going to be because they will be world premieres and they're going to be 20-minute operas as part of this. Yeah, um, so maybe overall, you know, you're not going to, you're going to chop off, say, you're going to give a third of the points, which those operas would garner just because they're they're so short but regardless this initiative absolutely mm -hmm. needs to be rewarded on our scale because all of these pieces are going to be absolutely contemporary very likely they're going to reflect a diversity of voice and they're going to reflect diverse artistic creators in terms of conductor director mm -hmm. librettist and likely the cast as well the other part of the, about the uh the american opera initiative festival those three um short operas are going to be given in a concert performance so they won't be staged so talking about points for the dodson scale mm -hmm. that'll uh, negate some of that so then kathy after taking up serpents talk us through the last three shows of the season well, after that very um, diverse first half, then we get a little more steady, steady the course. Um, the next opera is Eugene Onyegin, five points for Russian, followed by Faust, which is three points for our female conductor, Carolyn Wilson. Do you, do you know her work? I do all? not yet. I'm, I've heard, I know the name, but I have never had a chance to see her conduct yet. Mm. So on the to-do list. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Tosca, also with a woman conductor, Speranza Scapucci. Um, and a couple of singers also who are quite diverse. That's right. Latonia Moore, African-American singer, uh, she sang the title role in, in Aida that I assistant directed on, and man, she was so fabulous. <laughs> she was so great. I cannot wait to see her sing the, um, uh, that role. That's going to be great. I have a question. Why did we take 10 points off for Traviata but not any for Tosca or Faust? Well, I mean, I, I, I think you could argue that yeah, we should. You Agreed. Tosca. Faust doesn't get done that much. Yeah, Weston said we should subtract some points for Faust. I think we should subtract some points for Tosca. No, I think Tosca's the one. Because it's just yeah. so, it's so done. Are you looking up the dots? And the, this? <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing about, about our, our metric, is that we take off points for Traviata, Carmen, and Boem because those are so produced. When you look at operabase.com, where we get our statistics, the other two shows in that top five, Traviata's one, Carmen's two, Boem is four. So what are your three and your five going to be, you guys? Maida? Um, no, that's big, though. I would have to think, actually, that Tosca would be one, but apparently it's yeah. not. Tosca is number five, yes. Ah. Is it okay? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if we were going to dock points for the top five most produced operas because they're done so much, Traviata, Carmen, Boem, Tosca, number three... Most produced. It's got to be a Mozart. It's got to be a Mozart. It is a Mozart. It's Marriage of Figaro. Magic, is, I bet it's Magic Flute. It is the magic, like flute. magic Flute. Oh. It is it's the Magic flute. flute. Okay. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Figaro is at number six, followed by Butterfly, Rossini's Barber, Rigoletto, and then Giovanni at number 10. Hmm. So, I mean, it depends how far down this list you're going to go to start knocking points off people. It feels Do like... Do we care that they're doing Eugene Onegin at all? Well, does that does that get anybody excited here? I mean, I, not particularly. Maybe we're spoiled because hasn't it's been done at Lyric recently? Um, well, it's a it's a different it's a different city. Uh, I'm trying to figure out which production this is. This is the Met production. 
Who's directing it? Oh, this is the Robert Carson production. Yeah, this is the same one that was done at, at Lyric. Gotcha. Mm. I, I'm not huge into this particular production. It, it's been at Lyric twice in my time in Chicago. It, I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's it's time for a new Onegin. So I, I would rather dock WNO points for doing this Onegin rather than doing the production of Faust. Which is okay. So, but anyway, back to the 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 Dodson scale here. It is interesting to me that the middle of their season is where they make all their points, mm-hmm. and it's bookended <laughs> by the. Well, I hope we sell all these tickets to these other shows. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, that's kind of what's happened with Lyric too. We've seen, um, you know, they they offset doing seasons with Belcanto and Streetcar. And then they have what's coming up next year, which is basically the greatest hits of opera. Please buy all the tickets. Well, Kathy, I mean, is it possible that you can have a season that is both traditional and relevant? Well, I think that's what this shows us. I mean, you get your traditional four operas that everybody's heard of, the new classic Silent Night, and some new experimental stuff. And throughout the season, there's a theme of diversity in casting and in the uh, in, in conducting. Um, my only note, looking at the conductors, is... That's a lot of that's a lot of women. I hope it sticks. I hope it's not um, a flash in the pan and the, the case where they can say, "Hey, this season we had so many women. Look what we did that one season." Because I tend to be very optimistic about change that happens slowly, and this this season almost looks too good to be true. So, take if anyone can keep it up, it's the WNO. I'm confident of that. It's but. Washington National Opera at the Kennedy Center in our nation's capital. Do they have a duty? whether it's fair or not, do they have a duty to really represent what is possible in American opera? Should this company be speaking for us as a nation the way that you see other opera houses in European capitals kind of representing what's happening in the nation there? Hmm. Interesting question Hmm. considering the times we are currently living in (laughs) and the political climate. Um, because I would say that artistically speaking, um, you know, we're living in a really cool new, hopefully, you know, we always talk about opera moving at a glacial pace and being a little bit behind the curve. And then WNAO here has an opportunity to really get ahead of it with the female conductors and, and to make that a consistent part of their season. That's the hope. And to see the Lyric Opera of Chicago, have that be a uh, consistent part of their season, that would be the hope. Mm-hmm. Um Personally speaking, I hope that WNO is a beacon of light for people who happen to be in our nation's capital. Um, in in <laughs> I don't want to talk too politically here, <laughs> but it's a different atmosphere. DC is such a different atmosphere, and there's you know I I would say that certainly um, our president doesn't represent the way that a lot of the artists uh, feel, um, and that's me speaking for myself and some of my closer friends, but. I would hope that WNO could be a beacon of light in that political climate, um, and especially in that particular city. I'd like to add a little something here. Um, We are like Italy in that the standard bearer for us is not necessarily our capital. Um, Mm -hmm. The standard bearer in America is Metropolitan Opera in many ways. But that allows companies like WNO, which are which are can be to be on the forefront. They have a little more flexibility because they also don't carry the weight of that standard. And I think that it's obvious that they've really taken up that mantle to, to be on the front of what can be done in revolutionizing a season, a season that supports the, the season ticket holders as well as people who want to be on the cutting edge of what's going on in opera now. 
98 points, a grand total for Washington National Opera. I think that's pretty damn good. Can we say that on air? I th- I think that, you know, again, <laughs> the bulk, the, the middle of the season is where they're gathering all the points. The ends, less so. That's given a pretty balanced repast. Repast? Here. Hmm. I like the season. I, li- I like too. it a lot, George. That's an SAT word, Toby. I never took that. You took the ACT? Yeah, I took it one time, scored well enough to get some scholarships, and okay. pretty much knew it was a fluke, so... <laughs> Kathy, Get out while you're ahead. Kathy, are you, are you, Kathy, are you old enough like me to have taken the SAT two? Did oh, you do SAT I think I did in a, in a couple of subjects. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Can't okay. remember which ones they were. <laughs> oh God, no! Oh, I couldn't possibly remember what the what the subjects were. Hey, more details on why Gian Andrea Nozera left the Teatro Reggio Torino. And look, it wasn't because the pasta was overcooked in the cafeteria. That's next on America's Talk radio show about opera. Keep it locked. WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera land. More details on why John Andrea Nozeda resigned as chief conductor of the Teatro Reggio in Torino. The city recently elected a mayor aligned with the country's populist five-star movement. Nozeda resigned not for political reasons, but because the incoming administration proposed producing only Italian repertoire in traditional productions, with more performances of fewer operas. And crucially, the mayor's report did not envision a music director, but a principal guest conductor. Katarina Wagner, intendantin of the Bayreuth Festival, has commissioned a new opera from the Austrian composer Klaus Lang, The piece, which is called The Vanished Wedding, is being claimed as Bayreuth's first world premiere since 1882, but not so fast. It'll be staged a day before this year's festival and away from the Festspielhaus. Classical music critic John Von Rhein is retiring from the Chicago Tribune after 40 years, writing, quote, When I step down July 1st, I will have held this position at the paper for nearly 41 years, a record for Chicago musical journalism. Insofar as I've been able to determine, it's been a great ride, but the time has come to move off into other ventures, give somebody else a shot at one of the best jobs in journalism. That person's going to be Howard Reich. A suburban Detroit man was almost chosen for county jury, but his voice is the reason he's not in court. When the jury was being selected, student singer Justin Burgess tried to explain that he had an opera camp and would lose out on more than $1,000 in scholarships if he had to sit on the jury. 
quote, Your Honor, I'm going to excuse our opera singer from his duties, quote, a lawyer said, adding to Burgess, you can sing on your way out. On the disabled list, soprano Ananda Trebko missed a performance last week in Puccini's Tosca at the Met due to illness. Jennifer Rowley stood in. And the Bastille Opera House is also on the DL. When a pair of 18-ton counterweight cables around a backstage fire door broke without warning, the house won't reopen before next week at the earliest. And on this day, May 7, it's the birthday of British director Nick Heitner. He's 62. The anniversary of composer Antonio Salieri's death in 1825 and the Opera Comique in 1860. The premiere of Donizetti's Rita. That's your two-minute drill. This is America's talk radio show about opera with George Cedarquest, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. Number in the studio, 847-866-WNUR. You can give us a call. Let us know what your opinion is on all of the stories from Operaland. Give us a tweet at Opera Box Score. Of course, with all those guys on that list tonight, Kathy Shaughnessy. Hello. Hanging out with us tonight. Uh, what's coming up next for you? By the way, oh goodness, Kathy. I'm heading very soon to the Varna International Festival in Bulgaria. Oh man, I love yeah. that Bulgarian food. Black Sea too. Oh, it's gonna be nice. Caviar, <laughs> rye bread, good cheese, cabbage, ham, <laughs> cabbage, more cabbage, ham, more cheese, cheese, <laughs> cabbage. All right, great. And what? How about after that? Oh, you're going to New York, I thought. I am, I am. I'm going to be. I'm going to head to the Opera America conference and, and have a whirlwind few days in Chicago, and then I'm going to be in New York working with Dell'Arte Opera on their production. You mentioned it was Salieri's anniversary today, and uh, we're doing an American premiere of a Salieri opera called La Cifra. What's it like? It's a comedy. It's Does fun. it suck? <laughs> no, it doesn't <laughs> suck. And it's, it's so interesting because it's a Mozart and Salieri festival. And to get to hear these two guys and really hear that they were really composing in the same world, it's, it's a fun juxtaposition. Fantastic. I'll tell you what's not fun world right now. Teatro Reggio Torino. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't want to be there. John Andrea Nozeda, who, not single-handedly, but definitely overhauled the image of that company really pushing it onto a truly international scale a lot of tours that happened under his baton so as far as i understand and kathy you've actually been following this story pretty closely and have been talking to some folks over in turin was that there was a uh it was the end of an era right in turin and essentially he needed to have his contract renewed it's something like that. The whole system is a little bit different over there. And, you know, I hear Americans complain sometimes about how, oh, in Europe there's so much government funding and here we have to reach out to individual donors. But, you know, that's that's really a double-edged sword in some ways because, for instance, over there you don't get um, a tax write-off if you do donate to arts organizations. And the big one that plays in in this case is if an arts organization is working in the red, then the local um, governmental officials can appoint a general manager to take over and reassess the situation. And um, though I'm, I'm not following closely enough to know exactly why it's in the red, um, that seems to have been the case. There is a new election and there is uh, a new person who's, going, who's appointing a new general manager. Um, when that happens, it is pretty standard that the, well, it's by which I mean by Italian law, the music director does leave that position, but is usually applied, he applies to be reconfirmed by the new general manager. 
And the real breaking story here is not that Noseda is left in a huff or something. It's that he's announced that he will not be um, applying. Yeah, he will not be reapplying to be reconfirmed. Um, so it's a really interesting situation to think about. Like if Rahm Emanuel just told Anthony Freud one day. That yeah. <laughs> could you imagine? I, when you put it like that, I, I can't. I just... <laughs> I just can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, I've seen it happen in Germany when I lived and worked there. Like, it was commonplace. It was basically like when a new NFL coach comes in, like, the house is is cleaned completely. Some people retain their jobs. Some people don't. Right. And so with John Andrea Nozeda resigning, it's, like you said, not so much a resignation as much as he's choosing not to reapply, correct? Right. And right. so... It's interesting to me to have the mayor dictate the artistic vision um, and say, you know, to only we're only going to do Italian repertoire and traditional productions. And also a cancellation of a big U.S. tour, I think. Which has to be a a large revenue generator, you would think. Right, you'd think so. Um, Yeah, no, that's just a crazy situation, and it's a... That's an interesting... And and so that dictate, it seems like that's coming from a a political place, right? So the administration of the city of Turin is now through the populist five-star movement. And so what they want is they want to hear Italian opera, and they want to hear it done, quote, right. They want to see it done in the, quote, right way. Because when you look at past seasons, yes, it's largely Italian classics. Rossini, Bellini... Donizetti, Verdi, Puccini. But you're seeing Mozart, Wagner, Strauss, Massenet, Bizet, some Russian composers, some British composers, right? So this is just like a typical first-rate European opera house. And this is a loss. This is a loss for the city of Turin that they are now so focused on putting, what would you say, Italy first? Yeah, actually, one of my Italian friends did actually say Italy first as an example. There you go. Yeah. It, it feels small. It feels short-sighted. Short-sighted, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting to me that one of the justifications for this, too, was to get more, to provide tourists more with what they want when they are visiting the city. Um, that, theoretically, when, when foreigners are coming to, to Italy, they want to see an opera and they want to see Italian rep done in the Italian way. And that's, so they're actually, the Italian way is being, in many ways, Instead of being a standard bearer for Italy, it's actually being defined by that outside stereotype, which is a fascinating thing to think about. Well, and as a tourist, and I know that we've all traveled, um, when I go to an opera house in another country or in another city, I don't care necessarily about the regional influence. I want it to be the best product possible. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but if it feels, like you said, George, short-sighted to say this is what we're going to produce and to have it be so heavily influenced uh, on the outside presence, eh, it is just short-sighted. And it'll be interesting to watch this develop and see what uh, John Andrea ends up doing. Yeah, I can't wait to see. I mean, is it bad to say my first reaction was to kind of be happy because there's a good chance he'll come somewhere closer to us. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. And, and, you know, and it's not fair. Turin also has James Conlon. So yeah. it's not really fair that they would have both Conlon and Noseda. <laughs> Got to share the wealth. Very, very true. <laughs> John von Rhein leaving the trib. I, it's hard to imagine the end of the, the JVR epoch. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. 41 years as the classical... Uh, as a classical uh, music um, 
correspondent for the Chicago Tribune, and he's being replaced by Howard Reich. Um, and it's interesting, uh, a seasoned journalist himself, Howard Reich has covered the arts for the Tribune since 1978, joined the staff in 1983. Uh, he's the author of five different books, most of them, actually all of them, um, dealing with jazz. Portraits of Jazz, Let Freedom Swing, Jelly's Blues, Van Cliburn and Prisoner of Her Past, which was turned into a documentary that he wrote, narrated, and co-produced. Um, he served on the jury for the Pulitzer Prize in Music four different times. He's got a couple Emmys. What I think is interesting is that obviously the credentials are there, um, and this affects us though. This is we're all performers in the in the industry in Chicago, and so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to to see how his work presents itself and how he is critically toward the classical musicians. And I'm actually kind of excited. I love the work that John von Ryan does. I think we all have appreciated. Um, his dedication to the arts here in Chicago and making sure that people are aware of what's happening and where and when. And and he's been a huge proponent of the new music scene, which I think is fantastic because you don't expect that to, to see that from someone who is 72 and been yeah, uh, with the same company for 41 years. So certainly so much respect, I think, from all of us, as and we wish him well. And it'll be really exciting to see what... Uh, a critic in a city like Chicago really shapes the landscape. It certainly does. Um, and so I, I, you know, it's exciting to have someone because we don't have a ton of publications that are doing reviews, especially with the notoriety of the Chicago Tribune. And so to me, this is actually mm-hmm. a big deal. It's the beginning of a relationship. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. This guy who managed to get out of jury duty <laughs> because, well, the article talked about an opera camp it, it doesn't have any more specifics on to what that actually was he was he was going to lose some scholarship money a grand or so but technically that's not a reason employment is not a reason that you can get out of jury duty um wait 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 what are the reasons you can get out of jury duty we should talk about that well isn't it isn't it in the uh it's the hands of the lawyers right that's what i thought i mean they have to they're the ones selecting it. They're the ones observing That's your the civic duty, man. This is why folks that are self-employed like us always get screwed on jury <laughs> duty is because we're not getting paid to take those days off. I mean, we get that check for 1750 or whatever it is. Also, if I'm conducting a production, who am I going to get in to do my rehearsals? Kathy, you are so <laughs> up a certain creek <laughs> if you get jury duty. So how you how would you ever get out of it? I have no idea. I probably would do I would tell them and I would be so distracted that I wouldn't be able to fairly weigh the case cuz I'd be thinking about my rehearsals. <laughs> I don't I've, know if it would work, but I would try. I've never been called for jury duty, but I've always thought <laughs> I would you? just be like, no, 100% that guy's guilty. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how you, how you do get out of jury duty is you say like oh I'll put a man to death no questions asked <laughs> no you can't convince too me too many otherwise. people well in interesting it did say he was a student so yeah maybe mm. that happened hey wait can we talk about this uh, on this day May seventh at the Opera Comique in 1860 it was the premiere of that old Donizetti classic Rita <laughs> well and and it was just at COT of that's course we discovered classic that's, Toby that's why I'm laughing the wonderful <laughs> Angie Motolao who was on our show that show is not a wonderful classic <laughs> you know it's getting done though like other people are doing it too yeah. Sarasota well, Opera's doing it next year are they really yeah yeah well because it's I mean it's a known composer it is it's palatable, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not an offensive piece. It it, it flows. It moves. It's it's enjoyable. It's so. a known composer, but it's not so d- it's not so frequently done that we would knock its points on the Dawson scale. You, <laughs> you, ju- you, ju- <laughs> you just got to pair it yep. with yeah. something. Well, you know, you just got to 
find that that show to go with it. Anna Natrebko out, of course, uh, at the Met last week. And how about this at the Bastille? Now, this this is like the general manager's nightmare, is that something big breaks in your opera house, something related to safety, like the fire doors, and it's going to take you two weeks mm. to repair it. Can Did you just... someone sit in box five again? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like... Think of all those productions and those, you know, final dress rehearsals that can't happen. The the money that you lose. I mean, this like this gives me night sweats. This sort. But of I stuff. wonder though. This is I I know nothing about backstage. That's why I'm always so nice to like stage managers because mm-hmm. I'm like you guys are. Oh, they rule the world. You are mm-hmm. what makes this miracle happen. Yeah. Uh, but it says mm-hmm. 18 ton counterweight cables. Yes. Does it's that so mean scary? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know my you know my stupid question is like did eighteen tons of weights fall through a floor and I kind of <laughs> think that they did possibly they must have yeah get on the Instagram find out it's gonna be when somewhere. when when Hurricane um, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston and all that damage was done to Houston Grand Opera I talked about this before on the show when when I saw those pictures that's what I couldn't handle obviously yeah. people's lives were dreadfully affected I don't deny that. But if you were in this business, especially from the backstage perspective, and you looked at the ruined stage machinery, the ruined mm-hmm. deck, the ruined wings, just phenomenal. How and, much and it, this hurts you and affects you because of you know how little money is involved uh, or is set the aside margin, for this. The I mean, margin of error is so sure, slim. Yeah. Sure. And that and the impact, I mean, like, you, you cannot do the shows, and if you're going to do them, you're going to have to move them, well, as they did in the case of Houston, you're going to have to move them to a convention center. If you're the Bastille, it sounds like they're not, are they refunding tickets? Are they going to remount these at another slot? I mean, the schedule is so tightly packed, there's no way mm-hmm. they're going to find another time to do these shows. Right. So Maybe they try to put something up in the Garnier? I don't know. Possible. There are two opera house town so that's true that's that. true they do they do have that well uh we'll we'll follow that closely let's wrap this show up good call bad call on opera box score thanks for hanging out with us tonight everybody on wnur 89.3 fm what a great show madison leonard kathy o'shaughnessy toby you were fine Thank you. <laughs> Mediocre. That's I'm all I'm striving for. Mediocre. It's time for Good Call, Bad Call. I'm going to kick it off on behalf of Oliver Camacho. He says, if you're in the Chicagoland area and are looking for performance to take your mother to this weekend, check out ArtemisiaTrio.com for their program dedicated to mothers. He highly recommends this virtuoso a cappella lady band. Kathy, got a good call for us, got a bad call, something great that's happening in your life with respect to opera, something dreadful that's happening. <laughs> well, you already very kindly gave me a chance to plug what I'm about to go do. But um, this week, I, even though you already plugged it, I am really looking forward to Jesus Christ Superstar. It's been a guilty pleasure of mine for a while, so I'm ready. <laughs> I got a good call for you, George. Take it away. Uh, a good call is last week I sang a recital. This is also a shameless plug. I sang a recital in my parents, uh, where they live in Kansas, a small town. Um, and it was to benefit the local public library and some after-school educational programs for kids. And we raised 
a little bit over $15,000. Nicely nice done. Nice job, sir. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR, Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra on Facebook. Search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And, of course, always leave a review when you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Catherine O'Shaughnessy, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with the mother figure in your life We're back on Monday, May 14th at 9 p.m. Central. More opera news, hot takes. My crew is going to get rid of me for that show. I'm going to be seeing the Chicago Sinfonietta concert down at Symphony Center. You should join us nevertheless. These guys are be glad to get rid of me for a week. Hey, this is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago's sound experiment.